Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Tuesday, September 15th, we are studying Proverbs chapter 11, verses 1 through 31. Words of wisdom continue to overflow from Solomon concerning a variety of topics. This wisdom is given to use in this earthly life, and it points us toward the life to come that is ours in Christ. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us a regular guest, Pastor Philip Hoppe. Pastor Hoppe serves at Peace Lutheran Church in Finlayson, Minnesota, and St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Bruno, Minnesota. Pastor Hoppe, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Glad to be back with you today as we uh, look at this book of Proverbs and this per chapter in particular. Pastor Hoppe, Proverbs is just a different sort of uh, type of literature. I mean, we've talked about this here on Sharper Iron several times. It's wisdom literature. The question concerning context that we often start out with just doesn't really fit here. What comes before, what comes after? I mean, we discovered this in yesterday's episode. It can be kind of a whirlwind going through the book of Proverbs in big chunks like this to try to talk about it all, to tie it together. So as we get started this morning, looking at chapter 11, what are some overarching themes that we need to be paying attention for, any introductory material on the book of Proverbs, this part of the book of Proverbs that'll be helpful as we dig into chapter 11. Yeah, like you said, I think, you know, as we go further along, uh, it'll be clear that there aren't just, you know, uh, one or two things that all of these Proverbs are trying to get at. But I think, you know, some of the basic themes that we have in the books of, book of Proverbs in general uh, will certainly come through here as well, right? I mean, especially just the whole idea of um, this righteousness that is ours in Christ that then comes forth also in our life because it is ours now uh, by grace. Uh, well, that has great benefit. It has great benefit for now uh, and the living of our lives, not just for us, but for those around us as well. Uh, and it also has great benefit, obviously, uh, for the life to come. And on the flip side of that, of course, those who do not uh, walk in righteousness, but walk in uh, foolishness, uh, those people will find uh, that both uh, now uh, and certainly uh, eternally, that that uh, is the way of destruction that they're walking. And so, you know, I think we see a lot of that basic theme here again, which is, like you said, pretty consistent, I think, throughout the entire uh, book. Uh, but we'll also get these things that, again, all of a sudden will just jump out at us and we'll go, whoa, where did that come from, right? But if we slow down to uh, look at it, right, it, it, it is wisdom. And it's something for us to ponder for a little bit, uh, even though we may not have the time on today's program to you know, get to the details of every specific piece of proverb or even its application for what it, you know, how that translates into modern life. Uh, there definitely are a lot of things here that it, that are worthy of that kind of consideration for our life. Let's go ahead and jump right into the text then. We've got Proverbs chapter 11. I'm going to just divide it kind of in half for our consideration today, Pastor Hoppy. Not not quite, uh, but, but hopefully just at a spot where there's a, a decent break for us to consider one chunk of text on this side and another on the, on the other side of the break. So Proverbs 11, beginning at verse 1. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. The righteousness of the blameless keeps his way straight, but the wicked falls by his own wickedness. The righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the treacherous are taken captive by their lust. When the wicked dies, his hope will perish, and the expectation of wealth perishes too. The righteous is delivered from trouble, and the wicked walks into it instead. With his mouth the godless man would destroy his neighbor, but by knowledge the righteous are delivered. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices, and when the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, 
but a man of understanding remains silent. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. Where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. That was verses 1 through 14. We'll we'll pause there. We'll consider those verses on this side of the break. So, Pastor Hoppy, just to, to get us started, verse 1 here in chapter 11, sounds like this is talking about business dealings, false balances, just weights. Right. I mean, I think if you wanted to say, you know, you could take this right into our modern day and age and say that you go and you, you know, you're going to buy some produce of one sort or another in the store, right? And you obviously trust that whatever, uh, when they set it down there, usually uh, around here at least, right, kind of there on the scanner, and there's also a scale there, you assume that they're telling you the right amount of pounds of potatoes or bananas or onions, right? Uh, and uh, But you just trust that, right? And obviously, if somebody had changed those, uh, they could over time, rob people of a lot of money. And, uh, you know, so we might think something like this when we read it originally is sort of like, oh, yeah, that's back when they had, you know, these stones they would put on one side and they would use this. And, you know, we, we couldn't do that anymore. Uh, but but it certainly still, you know, does occur. And I, I think here, as with many of the Proverbs, we want to try to think a little bit as broadly as we can to just say that, you know, in all of our dealings, God is concerned with uh, the integrity of how we go about doing our work. Uh, we can tend to think that if we get into certain settings, well, this is just how business is done, right? And God says, mm-hmm. no, right? Not not for my people, right? Uh, we're never at a place in our life where we're apart from our life in Christ and the righteousness he gives us. And so, uh, yeah, with this first one, we're, we're kind of being told here that God hates this when people are uh, robbed uh, through uh, shady methods, right? And and again, to think that God would be concerned about that is maybe a little bit of a foreign idea to us. We think, oh, he might be concerned with the affairs of the nations and nations warring, but he's concerned right down to what's going on in the scale, you know, in your local retailer. Right, or at the gas pump. This is at least in in Texas. I don't. Maybe this is something the other states too. But I know on on Texas gas pumps there are notices about that they're tested so that you actually get the amount of gas that the pump tells you you've gotten. So so certainly, I mean, this is something that we see. But I think the the bigger point that you brought out there that God cares about our daily vocations, the mundane things that you might you might call them that. God cares about that. I remember, this has been a while now that we went through the book of Exodus on sharper iron, but there's that section in the book of Exodus that comes after the Ten Commandments, where the Lord takes great care to talk to his people about, for example, what, what happens if like your cow falls into a pit and, and how you go about <laughs> dealing with that. And and again, you know, it's it would be easy for us to to sit back and say, well, you know, we don't, I don't, there's no pits around here. I don't even own animals in Smithville. I've got members who do, but but it's it would be easier for us to think, well, that that doesn't matter anymore. But I think the point that you made is is right on. That that the point that we should keep in mind is that God cares about this stuff. He cares about our business dealings, and we shouldn't think that you know I can put on my my Christian hat when I go to church on Sunday morning and then take it off when I'm dealing in business throughout the rest of the week. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's exactly it. And I think we're so tempted to do that for for so many reasons. And like I said, just the easiest is we just get this idea that God should only be concerned with the big things. And we hear this reasoning all the time. You know, I mean, you could be talking about something about how God's people worship or something. And people are like, oh, do you really think God cares about this little thing or that little thing? And again, there may be things that are left to freedom, but God is quite clear in his scriptures, he does care about the details of things and the details of things he cares about, he reveals to us. That's right. That's right. So the text continues, verse two. And, and again, we, we said, well, maybe we can't tell you exactly why verse one and verse two are next to each other, but they're, they're certainly, this is important. And I think as I, as, as I was reading this chapter in preparation for our study, I think verse two provides a bit of an overarching theme not not exactly but i think it i think it it's going to apply to other things so when pride comes then comes disgrace but with the wisdom or with the humble is wisdom now this this contrast between pride and humility i think is important this is this is where i where i was thinking that i think this provides a bit of a framework for us pastor hoppy is that when it comes to for example the the previous verse 
someone who's prideful thinks he's going to get away with that false balance. But but the the humble one recognizes true wisdom that comes from Christ and and what that means for business dealings. That that was at least one thought that I had that I think verse two can help us as a framework for some of this other stuff. But feel free to to comment yourself, of course. Yeah, no, I I agree with you there that I think this is a is an overarching theme. Uh, I mean, maybe again for the for all of wisdom, but in particular, you know, in this section here again, like you said, yeah, the prideful person, you know, thinks they're going to get away with it, and also they just don't care, right, about the person that's being robbed. Uh, they're they're concerned uh, about themselves, whereas the humble, right, doesn't think more highly of himself, right, than he ought, and so uh, he actually does value the other people that are coming into contact with his business. And so while he wants to, you know, have a a good business and be able to provide for his family, he also wants to do that in a way that looks after those. So, yeah, I think definitely here and, uh, you know, uh, later in the book of Proverbs, we'll get this phrase that's maybe a little bit better known of, you know, pride goeth before the fall, uh, but very similar wisdom here, you know, that um, where pride leads, uh, the end of that again is, falling, it's disgrace. Um, and, you know, to the flip of that, that where there is humility, right, uh, is wisdom. And again, you know, hopefully uh, people have been listening listening along uh, so far in your series here, wisdom is uh, kind of the prized jewel here, right, that we're looking after. And how do you get that, right? Well, you're humble before God and, and before man. Right. And I mean, part of that humility and we've we've talked about this at other times. It's it's not sort of like, oh, I'm so humble, some sort of virtue that I'm I'm cultivating in myself, but it's rather a recognition that the wisdom that that exists is not going to come from within me, but it must come from outside me, which which certainly goes to this distinction between pride and humility on a on a broader scale than what we've been talking about. The the humility that has wisdom is the recognition that I, I don't have it, but it must be given to me. Whereas pride would simply say, I'm good. I, I've got what I need. I don't need, and to take it even even broader for the book of Proverbs, I don't need to bother with this fear of the Lord. I can simply yeah. go it on my own. Go ahead, Pastor Robbie. No, yeah. That, no, that's exactly where I was thinking too. You know, just again, this the humility is the fear of the Lord, right? You can pretty much put an equal sign between those two, right? That uh, that over, and I'm sure you guys did a lot more on fear of the Lord, you know, the first time that came up, but just this overarching sense of our place with God first, maybe in terms of our creation, uh, that he is creator and we are, you know, his creation, uh, but also just that sense then too of when we know God's nature uh, and his goodness and mercy towards us in Christ, right? That also, that then we have this this loving and adoring fear of the Lord as well. As, as the text continues, and again, I, without rereading everything, Pastor Hoppy, but verses three through seven, as you, you got them laid out in your notes for me here, share some, some themes that I think tie in with what we've been saying in terms of the, the benefit that there is now and also the benefit that we know will come in eternal life. Right. And I tend to think we often, you know, we want to go one way or another. We want to say sort of, um, you know, being in the faith, walking humbly. Well, that that's all about, uh, you know, sort of walking humbly with our God so that we go to heaven and receive all the, uh, you know, benefits of, you know, being raised up and living in a new heaven and a new earth, right? And we we can just go, that's the whole point. Well, these verses would say, no, there, there's actually benefit to this way before that even comes, right? Uh, And on the flip side, right, one might think, well, you know, uh, right now, you know, you can get away with a lot of evil and you'll do pretty good. And the only problem might be at the end of life. And again, uh, the book of Proverbs says, no, right now, if you're walking in evil, there's, there's response, there's, uh, you know, bad things that will come about because of that. Um, And so I think we see here this, uh, you know, to use phrases we use in liturgy, right, this temporal and eternal consequences kind of idea uh, is certainly present here. You know, one sense um, they're being told that right now, 
you know, the integrity of the upright guides them, right? It leads them in good ways. It, it uh, uh, you know, helps them know where to go. Um, and yet then we can go to the flip side and go, well, now when we're talking about the wicked, uh, not only is that not good now, but, you know, all the things that they might even gain in this world, well, what good is that going to do them on the day of wrath, right? It's, it's not going to do them a bit of good. Um, so I think, again, we're, we're tempted to say one or the other. We can get so worldly focused, right? Immediately now on this age, or we can get just focused on the age to come. And I think the book of Proverbs really helps us to say the two are connected, right? They are very much connected. I, I think you're, you're right on there. And I, I think I think Lutherans tend to struggle more with the way that these things apply right now. I, I think we, we do a pretty good job of, of understanding, for example, that, that these things will be fulfilled in eternity. Uh, for here's, here's a good—I'm just looking at verse 6. The righteousness of the upright delivers them. Well, I mean, as a Lutheran, I, I want to read the word righteousness there as the righteousness that is given to me through faith in Christ, and that's what's going to deliver me on the last day. And that's true. I, I'm not saying that that's false at all. That is certainly true. But I also think that it is it is fair to to look at that verse and recognize, for example, one one account from the scriptures that comes to mind is Joseph in the Old Testament, Joseph, the son of Jacob. But think about think about his own life, particularly the matter when it comes to his time as a slave in, in Potiphar's house. So he was a slave in Potiphar's house, and he was falsely accused of adultery. He he did not yield to that temptation while he was there. Well, he got thrown in prison for it, but ultimately, where does Joseph end up? He ends up second in charge in Egypt. Now, we also don't want to fall off on the other side and say, well, look, if, look, if you do what Joseph did, you're going to be, I don't know, vice president, I guess, is, is correspond <laughs> in our country, right? We don't want to say that either, but we should recognize that Joseph did the right thing. He did what was righteousness, and, and that turned out well for him in this life. And we, we can't lose sight of that, even while we hold on to that, yes, ultimately the righteousness that delivers us is Christ who delivers us for all eternity. We have to hold on to both those things at the same time. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, for at least some of your hearers, right, they know this kind of distinction that will sort of, as Lutherans, we kind of quickly reference between the theology of glory, which is, we kind of sometimes summarize really quickly as like, you know, if you do something good or you pray hard enough, or you have faith hard enough, well, then everything's going to go well. Your debts will go away. You know, you'll have a beautiful wife, beautiful house, you know, all this kind of stuff. And then we contrast that with the theology of the cross, right, where we know that God works good through suffering and works Works good even right in the midst of suffering. And yet, one of the things I think when we make that too simplified is we start to ignore all of the places, which not just in Proverbs, but throughout the scriptures, where God does promise that as we walk in his ways, he is going to be looking over us in this world, right? The cross comes chiefly from the evil one and from those uh, that are uh, on his side, right, knowingly or unknowingly. Um, but God promises pretty consistently throughout scriptures that he is going to take care of physically his people in this world as well. And so while making that very helpful and necessary to distinction to guard against some, you know, really awful uh theology and and application to life, which is just dreadful, right? We we sometimes just want to act as if God never said he would uh, actually reward the righteous in this world, which he does here and he does throughout the scriptures. Right. I mean, and sometimes the rewards that we receive, I, I think I, maybe part of our, our problem is we think of, well, what reward is God going to give me? And we think of, for example, the reward that Joseph received in being made second in command in Egypt. And that I mean, that, that's great. But for example, the reward that is received from f obeying the fourth commandment is is a happy household life. I, I don't, does that, that comes up later in this text, doesn't it, Pastor Hoppy? Yeah, the, the matter of troubling his own household will inherit the wind. We'll, we'll get to that on the other side of the break. But, but I mean, the, that's the reward of keeping the fourth commandment, or the sixth commandment applies as well, the, the matter of marriage and, and the love that is shared between a husband and a wife. The, the reward maybe seems boring, uh, but goodness, if, if you know the the joy of a of a husband and wife who who love each other and children who obey their parents all in the Lord together, 
that is a, a beautiful reward, even if it doesn't seem as spectacular as you know, being the vice president of the United States. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, no, I think you're you're exactly right. And even we'll get into this a little bit more later, this idea of not only right a happy home, but a happy community to live in where the, you know, where the righteous are congregated, it lifts up the whole city, right? And I mean, think about how many of us right now, if we could just say, right, my home as well and my community as well would would consider that a great treasure. And we should, it is. Definitely. So, Pastor Hoppy, since since you took us there, and I know we're we're maybe jumping around in this section a little bit or skipping over some verses, but the the idea that the the wisdom of of one person actually has an effect on his community, where where is that in this section? And, and give us more of that. Yeah. So uh, in verse ten, you know, we get this: when it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices, and when the wicked perish. Uh, there are shouts of gladness. And I mean, sometimes you just turn on the news and you see this, right? We watch in certain countries where we know there's this brutal dictator. And if you watch on a daily basis, uh, the people just have to obey. And so there's not a lot of uh, uh, rebellion against it. I mean, even a, a respectful rebellion, just, you know, kind of, oh, this isn't great, but we'll do what we're <laughs> supposed to do. And yet every once in a while you get this glimpse that when that person dies, the people get a little hope, right? Because because maybe the next guy won't be as wicked. He won't be as uh, much of a, a terrible person for us to deal with. And on the flip side of that, the righteous, uh, when they are one righteous person, or particularly when there is a, a congregation of righteous people in your community, right? This is something that raises up the whole city. Um, and this is something hard for people to understand, I think, right now. Um, you know, they, they, they forget this and we need to remind them, right, that um, one of the ways we can most impact our communities, right, is just by training up our children in righteousness, right? And if if there are more children trained up in righteousness, uh, the cities and the communities and the schools and everything else that people want to be better, they will be because that's the effect of Christ's righteousness flowing right down from heaven into the, our lives, but then out through our lives as well. Uh, it actually, right, again, this doesn't make, doesn't make the world into the new heaven and new earth by any means. It won't fix it all, but it does have an uplifting, exalting um, effect on community right now. And, and I think that's, um, that's a wonderful reminder in the world that we live in constantly seems to be putting before us those who are in charge. We we tend to, I mean, at least this is my experience, that we, we get before our eyes the international level, the national level, but we go from the top down. We, we see that big picture first, and by the time we get down to those people that are closest to us, we have very little energy left. And if, if we would reverse that, well, I mean, and I think this is, again, this is very practical wisdom here. As you said, the greatest effect we can have on our own community is by paying attention to our family, pay attention to our congregation. You know, I mean, and, and well, even take, I'm looking at verse 11 right now, by the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. So this applies in my own family as I, I raise my children in the fear of the Lord, that I should expect there to be blessings for my larger community. Well, think about Think about the upright as the church, the congregation. What what can my congregation do for the community that we live in? Be faithful. Be faithful to Christ, and and expect that to have an effect on the on the community. Go go to church regularly. Pray. Do worship. You know, sing the Lord's praises. These things actually do have an effect on the on the community at large. Start there at at home and let that work its way outward. And, and I mean, hopefully I'm not getting on a soapbox here, Pastor Hoppy, but I, I think that that matches up with what you're saying. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and just a confidence that the ways of the Lord are good in reality, that we're not just doing these things because or else. We're not just doing these things because we fear the threat of punishment. There, are, There is that as well, right? But we're doing them because we actually think they're Good, right? So if we're correcting somebody in the world, we're not doing it to harm them. We're correcting them because we want to deliver to them something good. And that's what we get here is when the righteous, right, are doing these things, we're not knocking people down, we're lifting them up. 
That's right. Yeah, they, we, we do these things because they're actually good. It's what God has given us to do, and if he's given them, then it must be good. Now, having, having said that about the effect of our lives as individual Christians permeating out to, you know, from the bottom up, if I can use that imagery, uh, Proverbs also has plenty to say to rulers as well. We've seen that elsewhere. Solomon has talked about how how rulers need this wisdom from the Lord. And verse 14, which we got about a minute here on this side of the break to kind of wrap this section up, I think provides a good transition into that. Verse 14, while applying to everyone, does seem to have something to say particularly to rulers. Right. And, you know, again, we, we often, I think in our, our thought, uh, I was just even watching some stuff over lunch here, you know, and we just love this idea that the one guy at the top is all alone and everything that happens in the whole culture and in the whole world uh, is the direct result of him and his knowledge and his intelligence and his whatever, right? And this kind of breaks through all of that and says, you know, really ultimately, right, whether one is wise or not is has a lot to do with the wisdom of the counselors around them. Right. Uh, and that's uh, what we're told here. When a person, in fact, you know, acts on their own and just trusts their own ways, um, they will certainly uh, not do well. Right. The people will fall. Uh, you know, and that's the sad part. When you're the leader, you, you know, if it's just me and I mess up my life, that's one thing. Right. But if I've got all these people under my care uh, and I'm messing up their life by my, again, lack of humility in asking for counsel, uh, what a you know what a travesty that would be, and so uh, anyone that's leading in, in any capacity should have counselors around them, and this means even like dads in the homes, right? Should not be fearful to ask other dads for good godly dads, right, for counsel, uh, because we shouldn't act like we know how to do everything in every circumstance. Uh, it's part of that humility that is wisdom. That's right. Iron sharpens iron. Sharper iron. That's what this show is, is trying to do theologically, but it's it's true on a much wider level. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFO. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Tuesday, September 15th. We're studying Proverbs chapter 11, verses 1 through 31. We've got Pastor Philip Hoppy with us. He serves at Peace Lutheran Church in Finlayson, Minnesota, and St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Bruno, Minnesota. Pastor Hoppy, prior to the break, we looked at verses 1 through 14, picked out several threads and strands of wisdom there. We're going to do the same with the next section of the chapter, verses 15 through 31 here in Proverbs 11. I'll go ahead and read that for us. Whoever puts up security for a stranger will surely suffer harm, but he who hates striking hands in pledge is secure. A gracious woman gets honor, and violent men get riches. A man who is kind benefits himself, but a cruel man hurts himself. The wicked earn deceptive wages, but one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. Whoever is steadfast in righteousness will live, but he who pursues evil will die. Those of crooked heart are an abomination to the Lord, but those of blameless ways are his delight. Be assured, an evil person will not go unpunished but the offspring of the righteous will be delivered. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. The desire of the righteous ends only in good, the expectation of the wicked in wrath. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and and one who waters will himself be watered. The people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. Whoever diligently seeks good seeks favor, but evil comes to him who searches for it. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Whoever troubles his own household will inherit the wind, and the fool will be servant to the wise of heart. 
The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and whoever captures souls is wise. If the righteous is repaid on earth, how much more the wicked and the sinner. That is the rest of Proverbs chapter 11. That was verses 15 through 31. So Pastor Robert, let's just start there in verse 15. Whoever puts up security for a stranger will surely suffer harm, but he who hates striking hands and pledge is secure. We've got that, that same theme of economics coming up again, it seems. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when we look at this, um, you know, it's it's interesting how uh, involved in this kind of thing the average person, you know, is in our day and age, right? Um, I mean, we're talking here, someone uh, in one of the commentaries I uh, read just used the phrase co-signing here to speak about sort of co-signing on a loan. And I thought, you know, maybe when, I don't know, at least when I read this originally, it's kind of like, okay, what's it even talking about exactly, right? What does it mean to put up security for a stranger? Uh, And when they said co-signing on a loan, that at least, you know, gave it some uh, easy modern kind of application to me that you're, you're putting up, you know, you're, you're saying I will sign for this other person. Um, But as I thought about that more, I thought, man, how often are we doing that, right? How often are we taking a risk with our own money by sort of co-signing on somebody else's um, project, right? I mean, I I don't know. I'd I'd be interested to get your thoughts on this and we don't have time to discuss it fully, but I mean, a large measure of what we call investment, right, in our modern culture is essentially this practice that you're saying, right, I'm going to put in my money uh, to secure uh, this person that's going to take this uh, risk and trying to, you know, create their business or grow their business or whatever. Uh, And we're pretty comfortable with this idea, right, that taking such risk is uh, something good. And probably because we've seen people take that risk of investment and come away (laughs) uh, doing fairly well. But I think at least, uh, you know, like I said, it'd be interesting to hear your thoughts on that application because I'm, I'm, not, I'm not certain of that, but it's, it's something that occurs to me. But I think in general, the idea here is uh, kind of that idea of don't, you know, don't take, don't be overly risky with what you have. Instead, right, can go about your work uh, and the Lord will care for you. He will take care of you and you'll be much more secure overall. If, you know, all your money is tied up in risky things, you're probably not going to sleep too well at night, right? But if you're just trying to take care of, uh, you know, your life, uh, you're going to feel a lot better about it, uh, especially if you if you have the fear of the Lord, right? Well, I'm no, I'm no economics expert by any means, but I, I think perhaps maybe this is a, a to say it more generally to recognize the insecurity that there actually is in money, and I mean, and I know that's that's a quite a bit broader than than the matter of like say co-signing for a loan or something like that, but to, to recognize the the true insecurity that that actually is there, I, th- I think it is very easy for us to be fooled into thinking there is security in money in whatever in whatever form we're talking about whether that is an investment or just you know the the money that I hide under my mattress or something like that we we think there's the security there but it it's not really secure and and you know the idea and again this is speaking very specifically here in verse 15 but to to just draw it and maybe this is just me I I like to I I always tend to take things toward idolatry but but money and investments very easily become an idol for us. And and so, you know, and I'm, I hope I'm not getting too too theological on you here, Pastor Hoppy, but but I think, I mean, maybe that's part of what's behind what Solomon is saying here in, in verse 15, is is to point us toward, you know, what the Lord has given us and and recognize that as a good gift, to not to not covet after what isn't ours, um, to not and I'm not saying that investing is coveting by any means, but but just to recognize where our true security lies. It's not found in investments, it's not found in money, it's found ultimately in the Lord. I hope that doesn't sound too too much of a canned answer, but those are my oh, initial thoughts. No, and I think certainly, you know, we read verse 28 also, right? Whoever trusts in his wealth will fall, uh, but the righteous will right. flourish like green plants, right? Certainly drives us in that direction of the ultimate question, yeah, is where is our 
trust, right? But uh, sometimes I think the amount of risk we're able to, uh, we're willing to take for something reveals our idols, right? That uh, if we really worship money, well, then we're willing to be quite risky there. Whereas, you know, with something of our faith, you know, even a, if we want to use kind of a, and if this is a canned example too, but talking to someone about our faith, well, uh, I don't want to take that risk, right? Someone might think I'm weird, right? Uh, it, it's, a, it's certainly another way that we can kind of have who we really fear, love, and trust in revealed to us is where we're willing to take a little bit of risk because we know what we're trusting in, right? We we take the risk because we know the object of our faith, uh, or we think we do. In the case of money, like you said, we think, and someone might even tell us, oh, it's a sure thing, right? <laughs> okay, well, then I'll trust in that. Well, there's only one sure thing, right? And that's God. Uh, and so when we're placing our, our fear, love, and trust in him, right, then we should be willing to take some risks because if you want to flip it around, God's co-signed that loan for us, right? He's he's the one backing it up. Well, and I think, I mean, maybe to, to tie it to another section that we've got here, and this, and we can come back to stuff that's in the middle, but in verses, let's see, verse 24 and following, you get a, you get some of the wisdom of generosity. And so maybe, you know, what what risk am I willing to take? Am I, am I going to take the risk to put up the security for a stranger in hoping that I'll get something back on my investment? Or will I take the risk of simply being generous and, and giving freely as at verse 24, you know, one gives freely yet grows all the richer. Maybe, maybe there's a connection we can draw between those two examples of, of risk, which risk am I going to take? Yeah, absolutely. And with that, I always use this uh, example here when we're talking about stewardship or giving. I always like to ask people, you know, have you ever talked to anybody uh, that, you know, you go out and you find someone that, uh, you know, sadly is homeless and you go and talk to him and you say, well, tell me your story, right? What, what happened? How did you end up here? And they say, well, I just gave too much away, right? You just won't find it. Right? Why? Because God, right, uh, loves a cheerful giver, and uh, you know this is one of these things too, where I, I think we would be right to say that when it says grows all the richer, that we should take that holistically, right? But we don't want to take it so you know, kind of spiritualize it that He's not also talking about the actual just money involved, right? That God will continue to bless. Uh, financially or in terms of, you know, what, what people have need of when they give freely. And it, you know, it's just, it's so counterintuitive, right? I, I, you know, think over my time as a pastor and even just talking to friends where they'll say, well, how, how could I give this amount or that amount, right? And I don't see it in my budget, right? I don't, I don't know how I could, right? And where you just go, well, I mean, I'm not asking you to figure it out that way. I'm just asking you to say, right, give and see, right? See what God does, right? Is he going to hold to his promise uh, that you will not be impoverished uh, as you are a cheerful giver? Right. I mean, that that recognition that it all comes from God in the first place, it, he's the one that gave it. And so for us to simply take our hands off of it, why would we expect him to stop his generosity? We, we shouldn't. And so, yeah, I mean, you're right. We, we want to make sure, again, this goes back to that, that thing we were talking about in the first half of the program about recognizing that, yes, we're going to see the fullness of all this in eternity, but we should also expect that these things are going to happen temporally as well. And, and of course, you know, what is that? We're in verse 24 right now. One who gives or one gives freely yet grows all the richer. What does that mean that he grows all the richer? Does that always mean material blessings? Well, I mean, perhaps there's another sort of riches in mind. And here I'm going to try to tie us to another spot. Verse 17, a man who is kind benefits himself, but a cruel man hurts himself. The, that the, and I'm not trying to spiritualize things, but to, to recognize that when I'm giving freely, uh, as you said earlier, you know, I'm not just giving freely sort of as like, I'm going to do this so God will do this to me, like he's some kind of vending machine, but I'm going to give freely because that's the thing God has given me to do. I know it's right. But the, the awesome thing, I suppose you might put it that way, about it all is that it, it actually does provide benefits to me. I didn't do it because I wanted those benefits. I did it because that's what God gave me to do, and I know it's a good thing. 
but I do end up receiving benefits, whether that is some sort of material earthly blessing, or as, as it says here in verse 17, a man who is kind benefits himself, that there is a, a benefit that I reap simply from doing what is God pleasing. Yeah, absolutely. And this is, you know, this is why the people, I've seen this trend with charitable organizations now actually kind of saying, hey, you should do this because it's good for you. And I'm always kind of, you know, it's like, no, that isn't why you should do it, right? But yeah. why why can they get away with saying it? Because it is true, right? That again, I mean, assuming this is true generosity, right? Uh, that That's flowing from, you know, the righteousness again that, that we're given in Christ. Uh, there is a benefit to actually the one doing it. Again, that's not our motivation, but it is something that God brings forth. Uh, and so, yeah, the, do we often, again, you know, put it this simply, do we feel better when we're being kind and generous? Yeah, we do, right? Because God has promised to bring those things forward, right? And it's never uh, prideful to trust in God's promises, right? That's that's what humility does. Humility says, I'm going to do this and I know what's going to happen, not because me and I've got it figured out, but because God has told me what will happen. Right. I mean, we, we always want to be careful here because our, our hearts are very good at making idols of things. And, and so we want to be careful here that that verse 17, a man who is kind of benefits himself, doesn't become for us some sort of idol where I'm I'm giving to someone else because I know it makes me feel good, right? As as if that's the point. That's not the point. The point is to to love my neighbor and to serve him. But but there is this wisdom that also recognizes that yes, God does provide blessings for me that I I can't outgive the Lord. That that when I give freely, I'm not going to lose anything because it was all a gift in the first place. I mean, you know, oh, this this money talk and giving talk can be un- uncomfortable, Pastor Hoppy. But I, I think there's there's lots here in in this section that does deal with this. First, uh, just again to to kind of keep picking at these threads. Verse 18, the wicked earns deceptive wages, but one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. I mean, take us into more of these this money talk. Yeah, I mean, certainly here you you get this idea, and there I think you know even the language itself kind of pushes towards this idea of you know what what makes the reward sure or certain, right? It's not just that it's temporal, right, but that it is eternal. Both of those make it a sure reward. Uh, and so again, can the wicked make a bunch of money? You bet it. Right? You bet you can. Right? Uh, we we see it all around us. We don't have to be convinced of that. Right. Maybe what we have to be convinced of is the second, right? That as we're sowing righteous, there is a sure reward. And like we've said, um, we don't want to say that's not something physical or material in this world because God does reward in that way as well. Uh, but it's something even grander than that because, you know, Christ himself tells us multiple times, right, that if our treasures are just here on earth, uh, those things are going to be destroyed in time, right? So this, if it's truly a sure reward, it has to have some promise beyond this age uh, and into the age to come. Um, so yeah, it's it's definitely uh, all of this kind of talk here of uh, the reward is is not just material, uh, but it's um, it's heavenly. And I suppose the last thing we can always say there, and I almost always have to correct myself on this. I think it was just how I was, you know, trained to think growing up. But the eventual home, our new heaven and new earth it's a material place, right? So, so we are going to have material blessings there too, right? We, we tend to like think, oh, there's material, then there's spiritual heaven stuff. No, right? What we're actually being given is a land in which to live, right? A new heavens and a new earth with material stuff in it that God is going to bless us richly with, uh, even there. Yeah. That, that's an important reminder that the, this is a, this is resurrection that we're looking forward to. This is the new creation that we're looking forward to. And so that when we when we speak of the reward that ultimately is fulfilled in eternity, we should be understanding this in a very physical sense. And you might even say more physical than we even know now, that that, that reality will be so real that that I mean we shouldn't we should never lose sight of that. As, as you were as you were talking there, Pastor Hoppy, this this one about sowing righteousness getting a sure reward that we we do need to remind ourselves of that because it it does seem so often 
that it is the deceptive who profit, the ones who are, are willing to, you know, to go back to the first verse that are willing to, to mess with the scales a little bit and not use a fair weight. Those who are, are willing to, to bend the rules a little bit, those are the ones that seem to profit. To remind ourselves that it is righteousness that receives the reward ultimately is, is a constant need. I, I was, uh, uh, and maybe this isn't the exact example, I've been trying to, to make connections to other places in the scriptures where we see one of God's saints living by this. And, and Moses came to mind because of the way the writer, the Hebrews talks about him in chapter 11. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 26 says this, he, that is Moses, considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So so Moses had had this in mind, that recognizing that sowing in righteousness will receive a sure reward, even though it would mean that he would leave behind all of his power and influence that he would have had in Egypt, any riches that he would have had there, he considered it, it more important to be connected to Christ and his righteousness and to receive that reward than any sort of deceptive wealth that he might have had here. And of course, with, with Moses, I mean, you think about the people of Israel actually did plunder the Egyptians on the way out of Egypt. And and then, of course, that was all made use of in the in the tabernacle, which is the true reward is to dwell with the Lord. So man, just a, a, a bunch of, I, I think this is what, uh, just as an aside, I think this is what Proverbs is meant to do for us, is, is meant to to make us think of all these other examples from scripture and and invite us to, to draw connections from these places, even when it seems... Uh, maybe a bit disjointed in the text itself, at least as we're talking about it. This is, this is a lot of fun, Pastor Hoppy. So oh, I, I totally agree. And even just that Hebrews, right? They're looking for a better land, right? Yeah. I mean, they just kind of to tie in there the material nature of what they wanted, right? Yeah, righteousness in Christ, but righteousness in Christ that manifests itself in a better land as well, right? It's it's the two combined, and those aren't separate things. That's, that's you know, God is always... Um, you know, shown his concern for matter by creation and by redemption, right? By incarnation, all these things. Uh, and so he will by resurrection. Uh, now, Pastor Happy, again, I know we're not going to touch on every single verse here, but there is, there's one in the middle that we kind of danced around that I think we just almost have to comment because the imagery is so stark. <laughs> verse 20, verse 20, you know what I'm talking about. Yep. Verse 22, like a gold ring and a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. I mean, the, the imagery there is you just can't miss it. What's going on in that verse? Yeah, I mean, this is, I, I think, you know, we've had recently here, I recently in the last, what, 10, 15 years, you know, this, you can't put lipstick on a pig was sort of a thing that went around, right? And I think it's kind of the modern equivalent of this, right? And it's just this, this idea, right, that, that you can, you can dress up something on the outside, but it doesn't change what it is. And sort of, so you get really, I mean, really two images here, uh, two metaphors set uh, next to each other, because I think the woman here really becomes a metaphor too, right? That here you have this beautiful woman again that to the, you know, if you just saw her walking down the street, you'd say, wow, right? You know, uh, you know what what glory God puts in his creation, you know? Uh, and yet at the same time, if she's a woman without discretion, if she's a woman that doesn't have um, Christ in her, in her life, doesn't have any sort of uh, morality about her, uh, it's just, right? It's just a pig dressed up. It's a pig with lipstick or here, you know, in the language, the, the uh, you know, this gold ring in the pig's snout, uh, which, you know, seems like a weird place to put something as precious as gold. And yet we do it all the time. We try to make something uh, horrific look beautiful with just, you know, ah, just make it look this way, right? Uh, you know, and we don't want to get into politics, but I'm sure certainly in the presidential election season, uh, there's a lot of this going on, right? We're trying to put gold rings everywhere we can uh, on both sides. <laughs> uh, and we want to be discerning to say, what is it, right? What is the thing? Yeah, yeah, definitely. That, that that's a that's an excellent. Yeah, what what is the thing? Don't let the outward adornment fool you, but but recognize what what actually is the thing. And and in this case, you know, the the woman without discretion may look beautiful, but but recognize what the thing is and and evaluate and act according to to what it actually is. Which I think, I mean, again, it goes to this that there's lots of connections we could make with the first nine chapters when it comes to the appearance of, say, the woman Folly and all of her outward trappings. Like She looks wonderful, 
But Solomon says, don't be fooled. Wisdom, this is what you you should seek after. This is what true treasure looks like. Pastor Hoppe, we got just under five minutes here. And I think maybe verses 29 through 31 provide some tie-in points to what we talked about on the other side and ways that we can kind of wrap this conversation together. I'm just going to read those verses again and let you comment. So verses 29 through 31 here in chapter 11, whoever troubles his own household will inherit the wind and the fool will be servant to the wise of heart. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life and whoever captures souls is wise. If the righteous is repaid on earth, how much more the wicked and the sinner. So in, in verse 29, we've got that conversation about, about children, parents, some of those things we were talking about on the other side of the break. You get this imagery of, of fruit, the, the tree of life that we've seen elsewhere in the book of Proverbs, and, and the idea of, of receiving from righteousness or wickedness what, what is actually due. Take us into these verses. We've got about four minutes. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, we get this, like you said, it starts off with this whole idea of troubling uh, the household and inheriting the wind, right? Which is not what anyone hopes to inherit, right? Just a stiff breeze in their face. But in this case, right, why do they inherit the wind? Is it because someone else was unwise? No, but because they were unwise. And so either through um, their troubling of their household, they've destroyed the household, right? So there's nothing uh, being produced that can be passed on in one sense, um, or whether it's just that they, they trouble the household so much that they're disowned, uh, they inherit nothing. And so again, there we get this this picture of um, you know what righteousness brings about, right? That it brings about an inheritance, uh, possibly, right? Again, a temporal inheritance in some ways, uh, but also uh, an internal inheritance. Um, the second part of that, you know, just this that also the other thing that often even happens in this world, right, is that the unwise who think they're going to make their way, right, end up at the end. Well, they end up working for someone who just, right, tried to do things with integrity and righteousness. They didn't, um, you know, take all these risky, uh, you know, things throughout, risky chances throughout their life. uh, And they have a stability there, a security. And so other people end up working for them. And I think, you know, really to to go to verse 30, then I think is a, a beautiful place, right? And this is a constant image throughout the scripture, right? That uh, the righteous then, right, becomes this, um, you know, this, this green leaf, uh, this tree of life. Um, Psalm 1, right, uh, is, you know, like the, the man who uh, meditates on the word of God, right, is like this tree planted by uh, the, the water. All these kind of pictures, Jesus, right? I'm the vine and you're the branches, all these different kind of pictures that when we are walking in righteousness, there is life and there is wholeness and there is goodness and it's sprouting now and it'll sprout right on into eternity. And again, not because we're righteous and God says, wow, look at that, right? But because he gives us this righteousness, this fear of the Lord, this wisdom, and it is fruitful. It is fruitful now and fruitful for all eternity. Pastor Philip Hoppe is the pastor at Peace Lutheran Church in Finlayson, Minnesota, and St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Bruno, Minnesota, helping us look at Proverbs chapter 11, verses 1 through 31 this morning. Pastor Hoppe, thanks for being our guest today. So glad to be with you. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.